The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. It's good to see all of you this morning. Um, Hard to believe that that softball tournament is coming up so quickly. It's fascinating how fast things can move on the calendar. Um, If if you've been around very long at the church, you know, um, you've heard me talk about I love horses. Um, I grew up around horses. And, and just really enjoy them. And so there's some, you know, there, there's a little bit you need to know about riding horses. If, you, if you're not familiar with them, if you go on a horseback ride or something and um, you, you get on a horse, a lot of people, they get on a horse, Abby and I, Abby and I, when we went to Yellowstone and we did that pack trip, she hadn't been on horses a lot. And uh, I got some funny stories I could tell about Abby right now. Um, I, I got I to gotta make sure I don't get sidetracked here, but I remember she got this horse that, that the horse would like to stay up so it would fall behind, and then it would like to catch up. So it'd walk, 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 and then she'd be, boom, 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 and she'd go, oh, what she would say, and I'd get tickled at her. But so what you're supposed to do when you're riding a horse is, man, you don't ride on your rear end. You ride, you post up in the stirrups. That's why they have those things there. So you post up. When the horse is doing that, you ride like this, not like this, all right? So today we're going to look at the four horsemen of the apocalypse, so post up. <laughs> so anyway, no, it's a very encouraging word, I think. It's, it's a little intimidating, right? But we learned when we started this series that um, you, the, the writer, John says, hey, man, like, blessed is the one who proclaims this word, and blessed is the one who hears it. And so as, as we've been going through it, man, the Lord has certainly, as I've been working on the proclamation, I feel that blessing coming into my life. And by blessing, I, I don't mean um, like material things. I mean just, to, just to, like understanding what's happening in and around me, um, seeing with the eyes, seeing the world through the lens uh, uh, or the eyes of God instead of the eyes of Jimmy, and just kind of changing my perspective. Because it, it's, it's so easy to get kind of caught in a rut and just kind of be moving along and going along with the flow as opposed to really thinking about who I am as a citizen of, of the kingdom. And so the Lord, certainly as I've been preparing, and um, it's kind of a, it's, it's a fascinating experience when you're, you're working on sermons, man, you go through this, you go through all these different emotions of the Lord's showing you something, and you're challenged by it, and, and then you bring it to the people, and the hope is that you guys along with me are challenged by it and, and fired up. But, but the, today, we, we look at some things. As we left last week, we were kind of in the throne room. We had a couple of weeks there where the vision, remember the outline of, of the, the book of Revelation is write down the things um, that you've seen. When she, right there in chapter 1, he saw the resurrected Christ, write down the things that are. Then he goes in chapters two and three um, are all about the church. And so we get these seven letters to these seven churches that are applicable to seven actual churches, but there were a lot more than seven churches then. And so it was applicable to all of those and it was applicable to the churches throughout um, the church age, which is what we're living in right now. And many Many scholars believe that each one of those churches represent a different period of church history, and, and some would say that we're living in the last one, uh, the church of Laodicea, where the church becomes very 
um, what's the word, like, very, like, well, it becomes apostate, ultimately. It, it, it is a church that calls itself a church, calls itself believers in Christ. And again, we're not talking about OPCC, right? Because we are getting it right, amen? <laughs> and, uh, but, but we're talking about a church that would, would say they follow Jesus and everything, but they're not really lining up with what the Word teaches. And, and so it becomes a very weak um, church in the sense of the power of the kingdom falling on it. And, and then we, we move, so those are the things that are. Again, that's the age we're living in. And then he says, and the things which are to come, okay? And so this is out as we look forward into the future, and the Bible is loaded with prophecy. Much of it fulfilled, much of it not fulfilled. And so when we get to chapter 4, there's a shift. Because his, he says, then I looked, and I heard a voice, and we moved to the throne room. And so now we're up in the throne room in chapters 4 and 5, and we see God on his throne and all of that splendor. We see that the church is there. The elders are the church. We see these other beings that represent all the created order. They're all there, and they're falling down in humble worship of this God that is on his throne. And then last week, we talked about disappointment, how we walk through disappointment. We get disappointed about a lot of things and that all of creation is disappointed. There's no one immune from disappointment. And we saw how that um, John was even disappointed in that moment, and he shed tears because the angelic being said, who's worthy to open this scroll? And no one came forth. No human being, no created being, no one came forth. But then the church, the elder, told John to stop weeping. He said, look. And he got him to fix his eyes on the, the lion of the tribe of Judah who was coming out from the throne. And so this is how we get the, we, another, one of the places in the Bible we see the doctrine of the Trinity. And he says, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And John says, I looked and I saw a lamb as though it had been slain. And we know that is Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He comes from the throne because he is God the Father. He is God the Son. He is God the Spirit. And he comes and he takes the scroll. And all of creation, man, Again, worships the Lamb, the same worship that they gave God the Father. So we use terms like Jesus is the Son of God to help us kind of wrap our minds around this, what we believe as believers and what Jesus taught. I mean, he's talking to human beings. He's fully God in the flesh. He's having to communicate to us, and it helps us to be able to wrap our minds around it. But the fact of the matter is, is Jesus is God the Father, Jesus is God, the Son, Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit. They're the same. They're all the same. That's why we say we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Like, he is in us, right? And so he comes and he takes the scroll. And we get to chapter 6, what we have is the um, opening of the scroll, because the scroll has seven seals on it. And so today we'll look at the opening of, the, of four of the seals. But before we do that... Um, at what's, what's taking place is that the, the scene is going to shift from heaven to what's going to happen on earth. And I think it's important for us to look at the Olivet Discourse. Now, what is the Olivet Discourse? That is where Jesus was talking to the disciples, and they asked him about how things were going to play out in the end. And, and he says this. We're not going to read the whole thing, but we'll probably be referring back and forth to this a few times going forward. 
It says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, this is Matthew 24, verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. They said, tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. Now, that's really important. And one of the reasons I'm so emphatic about preaching the truth is there's a lot of deception going on. And Jesus warns his disciples way back when he was with them, watch out, he says, that no one deceives you. And they come, for many will come in my name claiming that I am the Messiah. And that word Messiah means the one who delivers, the one who helps, the one who saves. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that they come and they just say that I'm Jesus, but they come and they say that I'm the answer. He says, many will come and will deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. That's really important too. Don't be alarmed. Jesus doesn't want us running around being afraid. So even as we talk about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, there's no need for the believer to be afraid. Like I have no fear um, for what's going to happen and, and where I'm at in this whole story. He says, such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains, okay? He says, this is how you know. And he goes on, he talks about a lot more, right? But he says, this, this is the beginning. So we're to be looking for those things. We're to be watching. Now, what's happening for John, he sees the seals beginning to be open. And as, as we go through this in Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and we unpack these seals, I'm going to show you the seals and... Then I'm going to give you some takeaways about what should that, how should that impact me? How should that impact us as a body of believers as, we're, as we go through life this week? What difference does it make if we're looking at all of these things that are to come? It makes a tremendous amount of difference. And that's why it's so strong in the word. And that's why I think that John says, blessed are you when, it's, when you proclaim it and blessed are you when you read it, you hear it, you you take it in, because it's going to shift your perspective on things. It's going to change your mind, which is really <laughs> what repentance means, and believe. And the fact of the matter is, is we need more of it, and we need it presented in a stronger way, because there's so much deception going on. And I think even for us as believers, I get distracted. I don't know if you get distracted. I get distracted. I get distracted by the things that I can't I can see, and sometimes I forget about the things that I cannot see. And the word is strong, and it comes and it hits me. And that's why I've been enjoying this so much as it's hitting me, and it helps me to keep seeing things the way that the Lord wants me to see them instead of how the enemy wants to deceive me and get my eyes on things that really don't matter. And so here we go. And, and I th here's what's happening, okay? Lots of symbology in apocalyptic literature. And as John sees this, I think a good way to think of it is um, like the movie Gladiator. You remember the guy, the guy that would stand up and he announced what this particular games was going to be about? 
and he proclaimed it, and then they rode out in the chariots. And so that's kind of what's going on here, is that the seal is being broken, and what is recorded on that deed that tells us how that, 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 that scroll is the deed to the earth, and Jesus has taken it. And so now he's taking what is rightfully his. He has not taken it yet. Jesus today sits on a throne of grace. And I taught you this. When he seizes the scroll, he now is sitting on a throne of judgment, and things are drastically shifting in the way the created order is functioning. Right now, you and I, we live during a time of Jesus sitting on the throne of grace. That's why we call it the church age. And so as he breaks open that first seal, the deed to the planet is not, it's not about what he inherits. He inherits everything. It's all his. He's, he's taking it all. He's taking back possession of everything that was lost in the fall. That's why we're always going to feel disappointed until he takes that scroll. We're always going to deal with disappointment. We're going to be disappointed how things don't work out. We're going to be disappointed in ourselves that we, we didn't measure up as a believer in situations. We're going to be disappointed that people die. We're just going to keep being disappointed. That's never going away. Creation's disappointed. Like everything is disappointed. And so that happens, but when Jesus takes that scroll, like the disappointment for the believer is over with. We no longer be, will be disappointed. That's good news, all right? And so here's what he says. He says, Jesus opens the first scroll, and it says, I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. And I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out to conquer, bent on conquest. Now, there are some who look at the scripture, look at the end times, and they would interpret this and say that they believe that that's Jesus, right? He's riding the white horse. There are some that make an interpretation and they believe that it is the gospels. And then there's another group that believes that, no, this, this is a, a, a time of, of peace where whether it's one leader or a group of leaders they will be bent on conquest, and they will achieve world peace. And, and the reason I don't see it as Jesus with the Gospels is because we, as we look at the next three horses, we will see that they all are events. They're more events than they are people. And when we see Jesus at the end of Revelation, he is riding indeed on a white horse as a conqueror. But he's not carrying a bow, he's carrying a sword, and he's not wearing one crown, he's wearing multiple crowns, okay? And, and he comes back in all his power and his glory at that moment. And so I believe that all of these events that we're going to look at or all of these horses um, represent events. And the first seal is a promise of peace. So when Jesus takes the scroll and he begins to un, he, he opens the first seal, then what's going to happen is the world is going to move from a place of incredible chaos to peace. Some might wonder, man, <laughs> I was visiting with some friends recently, and, and, and they, they said, man, we noticed a little bit of a, a, a change in your tone of preaching around COVID. Like, I was like, yeah, man, there has been. And, and I'm, boy, I just feel a sense, and I don't say this lightly, okay? I feel a sense 
of urgency like I've never felt in my ministry. I feel a sense of, man, things are changing. Like, I think always in the back of your mind, you think the Lord could come back soon, right? You especially think that when you first become a Christian. But now you look around and you're like, geez, man, it's so chaotic. And it just keeps getting more and more chaotic. And so like the Lord, what he sort of impressed upon me during that time when the whole pandemic started, um, he already like, it was a well beyond, well beyond before the pandemic, like a year out at least. I was, I was sitting right here with a group of guys. We had been going up the mountain, spending time in prayer and really right out there by the dumpster, by the trash can. I went out and I was meeting with the Lord and I was asking, where do you want me to go? Like, where, what is your word for me right now? And we were, we were just in prayer. And, and maybe you heard me tell the story, but the Lord said, Obadiah. <laughs> Obadiah? I don't know anything about Obadiah. It's one chapter long. And that led me into um, the, the uh, it led me into the minor prophets. And it sort of started me on this journey of, of uh, like, the Lord... <laughs> Like, he just impressed upon me, I, want, I have a voice for you. I have a voice for you right now. And I want you to speak. And then that led into um, the minor prophets. I was planning to start that, that, that series and had been praying about it for months. And then the pandemic happened, and, and we found ourselves there as I, I, I started that. And so, like, man, when I look at that, why am I, why am I going through all of that? It's because in that moment, man, what I feel like the Lord is saying, like what I feel like he is impressed, I am not a prophet and I am not making a prophecy. What I'm telling you is what I feel the Holy Spirit impressing upon me as I walk in obedience and submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? And what I feel like the Lord impressed upon me is that things are really chaotic and there are only two things that are gonna happen in the near future. One there will be a spiritual awakening of God's people and people in the world, and there will be a revival. Or two, it's going to get a lot worse, and I'm coming back. That's the trajectory that the globe is on right now. I feel that in my heart. Like it's, we say, well, when is that gonna happen? I don't know, I have no idea. But I, man, like look at the world. It's, it's weird. It is weird, man, people. They can't even figure out simple things. You can't, you can't, we're so divided and it doesn't seem like anybody wants to be united. Like even as, as like, as Americans, we just can't get there. And it's like, what is going on? And I don't think we will get there until, unless there is a spiritual awakening and people experience a revival or it's just gonna get worse. That's the only hope. That's the only hope. And so I believe like the Lord has placed me here in this place with you guys and establishing this ministry for this specific time to teach this message because it's what the church needs to be teaching because it's serious, man. We read about like, what's gonna happen? Well, this like, so I, I think that the things are being set up for either a revival is going to happen and, 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 and we see, man, you read the Old Testament, the Lord is about to execute judgment so many times and it is always revival of the people that sort of backs the, 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 the judgment off. Does that mean that God is changing his mind? No, it doesn't mean that at all because God is sovereign, right? But it does mean that the people are changing and, and that's what we always see that is shifting 
that judgment that is impending, that is coming, that's what always changes it. And, and, and so like w- when we see what's happening around us, either we're getting set up for a major revival or we're getting set up for the chaos that is going to um, run ahead of when this peace happens. You see, it's set up for two things. People are either going to turn to Jesus or they're going to turn to something besides Jesus that solves the mess. And the mess, I think, is going to get worse than it is right now. And that's what, this, that's what John is saying, the first seal. There's a conqueror bent on conquest. There's no war that happens in it. He, it's a cold war. Somehow, some way, there's negotiation and peace just hits the planet. And people are celebrating the peace. The leadership and the governments are celebrating the peace. And so it is either going to be that we're celebrating the Lord Jesus Christ in our near future, and we, we, the, the, the world and time goes on for uh, maybe another thousand years, two thousand years, who knows? Or we're headed toward this time where this false peace is going to happen. And that's what this first seal is about. Is, and I'll, I'll elaborate that on that in a minute. Because the peace is short-lived And it's false in this scenario because it's rooted in lies, right? It's rooted in humanism. It's rooted in lies. It's rooted in people. It's rooted in programs. Just look at the world. Can you see how that could happen? Like 20 years ago, I couldn't see how that could happen. It's like, yeah, I don't know, man. Today, I'm like, geez. Like, I feel like such a minority um, and I don't know if you feel that way as a believer, but from what we believe, I f- it feels like we're minorities, man, in, in the way people view the world. It didn't used to be that way. And, and, and man, it's just changing at such a rapid pace. And so that's the first seal. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one, and its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. So we go from peace to a a war like the world has never seen. And people die. And so it goes from like this, this time of incredible peace and people celebrating to all of a sudden people are fighting like they never have fought before. And and that's what happens is the false peace ultimately leads to conflict and this. This particular horse is symbolic of war that will fall. Again, this is when Jesus takes the deed to the world and he starts cracking open the seals. And so that's the second seal. The third horse, it says, when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and there before me was a black horse and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and wine. The third seal is famine and inflation. There's not going to be, there's going to be a shortage of food. And and what is available is not going to be very good and it's going to cost you a fortune. Now, again, (laughs) I can remember 20 years ago reading some of this and going, come on, man. Like, just being honest, okay, as a believer. You read that, how could that happen? Then you see, like, every time there's a little bit of a mix-up. A big storm comes in, the grocery stores get raided, 
Well, this last time was a little different, right? When the pandemic happened, things got raided and then people got sick. They couldn't go to work. Then there's a meat shortage. And so then you're like, what? this whole thing is pretty fragile. I'm glad I know how to bow hunt. That's what I was thinking, right? But then everybody starts eating the deer. Then what do you do then? And so it's weird, man. It's like, you think about, golly, <laughs> this, you, what seems, what, what seemed harder to believe for me, and again, I never have had trouble believing it. Like I, I believe it and I accept it because I know what the Lord has done in my life. But, but what has been hard to accept for me and wrap my mind around is like the how of it. It's not hard anymore. Jesus, this is, a, this, is a, this is a no-brainer. Nobody's even gonna even think of that, that God is behind any of it. And, and, and that's where a lot of the deception comes. It says, don't be deceived, Jesus says. Many are gonna come and say, I'm the deliverer. I'm the one. Don't be deceived. And you stay, again, do you see why I'm always saying, man, you gotta be in the word? Because we're like, man, we're, we're living in a world where deception is gonna be king. Like right now, deception is prince. Deception is going to become king. That's why Jesus, and, and the word describes the devil as the prince of the power of the air. And he's the one controlling the earth right now and, and the things and manipulating people. And so like we look at that and, and we go that the, the people will be starving. That's the bottom line. And then the fourth seal gets open. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a pale horse, and its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. And they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by wild beasts of the earth. And the fourth seal is death. And death follows famine, the sword, the famine, and plague. And, and so it wipes out a quarter of the population. Again, we can see how that can happen. And, and, and we're not facing anything like that right now with this pandemic. And I'm not trying to, listen, I'm, I'm in no way, shape, or form trying to say, look, these things are those things. I'm not doing that. And I don't want you to walk away from here thinking that I am. But what I am doing is paying attention, as Jesus said, to pay attention. And what I am doing is I'm ensuring that the people that God brings under my care, you know, and you are not going to get deceived. And you're, you're, you're watching, you're listening, you're alert, man. And the Lord uses all of us together. And that's so vitally important. So I, I, I want you to get that, all right? Now, this word pestilence um, or, or plague here is the word thanatos. And it means... Um, it means death. It's used previously as death, but it also in the Greek, in the context that is being used here, it can mean disease and disasters like earthquakes and volcanoes and floods. It could mean chemical warfare. So something, something happens um, after this, like through the famine, through all this stuff, and a lot of the population dies. Nothing in human history like the things that John is describing, has happened. Now, there was a time during the fall of Jerusalem that things were awful for the Jewish people. I mean, it was bad. But John wrote about this after that. He didn't write about this before that. And so John wrote about the, um, the, what's coming 
and this after the fall of Jerusalem. And this is only the beginning of the birth pains. <laughs> we had three more seals. The last seal has seven trumpets and seven bowls. <laughs> right? <laughs> but here's the thing. The church does not participate in this. The church, along with the Holy Spirit, under, under you know, what is the most popular um, eschatology of our day, school of thought, is, is dispensational premillennialism. And, and under that, the church and the Holy Spirit are removed. And, and to be fair, like, I, listen, like, there are, there are four different views. I'm, I'm going to give them to you really quick. And just, I just want you to kind of get your, like, there's historic premillennialism. Historic premillennialism is, like, the, the church age happens, there's a tribulation period at the end of the church age, Jesus returns, judgment happens, eternity, or, or Jesus returns, there's a thousand-year reign of Christ, then judgment at the end, and eternity sets in. There, there is, um, there is, like, the modern premillennialism. It is where there's the Israel and the church age, then there is a rapture of the church, the church and the Holy Spirit are removed from the planet, there is a tribulation period, at which at the end of that tribulation period, Jesus returns, and then he sets up a millennial kingdom, at the end of the millennial kingdom for the thousand years, then um, it, judgment happens and we go into eternity. There is post-millennialism where we are like we are we we're in the church age and the world just keeps getting better and better and it it leads into sort of a Christian utopia as everybody bows the knee to Jesus and the world experiences incredible peace um, for a thousand years and that used to be really really popular until World War One and Two <laughs> things seem like they were and it's not like it's not as as, as popular of, of a, a school of thought now. And then there's amillennialism, which means there's, they believe in no literal millennial. It's ah meaning no. And so there is the church age and the tribulation period that are described are running in parallel right now. That is the church age and, and the millennium. Like the, the, so the rule of Christ is in the hearts of men and tribulation the tribulation that is described is throughout periods, all different periods of history, that people are in tribulation. And people could see that and go, yeah, man, there are people in third world countries right now, it feels like tribulation to them. They are in famine, right? And then at the, at the end, Jesus returns, and we go on into eternity, all right? And so like, I got all four? Did I get all four? All right. So right now, what I'm teaching you when I say the church is removed is is this modern version of the church. Uh, like, and, and, and the Lord's kind of had to bring me here, and here's some of the passages of Scripture that make it so strong, is that the church doesn't walk through this, okay? So let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. These are really important Scriptures. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, Paul writes this when the believers are, they're discouraged because people are dying. 
What's happened to our brother? Jesus hasn't come back. He's dead. What, what happens to him? And so Paul says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with, with them in the, cloud, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with those words. This is why we see the church in chapters 4 and 5, described as the elders around the throne, the church is not mentioned after chapter 3 until we get to the end of Revelation. And so that the church is raptured out. They're caught up. They're snatched away is what that word, word means. And then we go to 2 Thessalonians, another important passage of Scripture, identifying like, what, how does this stuff play out? It says, chapter 2, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by teaching allegedly from us. That's really important. Like you shouldn't be easily unsettled or alarmed just simply by teaching. He says, whether by a prophecy or by a word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you. So we see every time we get there to this end, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the re rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worship, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back. That's really important. Something's holding that, that spirit back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. That's the Holy Spirit. He is removed. When the church is removed, you say, wait a minute, how could God do that? Don't forget in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit didn't indwell the believer. So we have thousands of years of biblical history where the Spirit of God did not live in the believer. That is all the past two millennia during the church age. He's taken out of the way. And then the, lawlessness one, or the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Do you feel the urgency, man? Like we... Jeez, like what the, the 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 word couldn't be more plain. And so 
Jesus' body, us, we are the body of Christ. I'm going to put all this together for you. Ready? You post it up, or you bounce it around like this right now. He said, Jesus, the body of Christ is on the planet, and the Holy Spirit are here. He is currently ruling from a throne of grace. We are in a war to rescue the perishing and care for the dying. We are citizens of the kingdom who are engaged in spiritual warfare. Here's what the Lord has taught me the last few years. Everything in the Bible that happens spiritually seems to me always has a physical parallel. So all of this stuff, like you think of, well, um, Moses delivers the people of Egypt from the bondage of sin. There's a physical parallel. It precedes the spiritual parallel, and the Old Testament is preceding. Um, the, here's what I think. I think the Lord is showing me something even now as I speak. I think in the Old Testament, it's, it precedes it, the spiritual. In the New Testament, it precedes the physical. And here's what I mean. Moses delivers the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. They're as slaves. Jesus delivers all humans out of the bondage of sin who are slaves. So the physical precedes the spiritual. David slays Goliath. And many people will read that and say, well, man, you can slay any giant in your life. That's not what that story is about, though it can encourage us that way. What it is, is the humble, the one who looks like he can't, slays the giant. Jesus comes riding on a donkey as a humble servant, goes to the cross and slays the giant of sin to set us free. The physical precedes the spiritual. In the church age, I believe what is happening is the spiritual preceding the physical. So that everything that, that we just read about that is coming out in the future that we will be removed from as believers, we don't need, be, need to be afraid of that. Like there's, if you're here and you're terrified right now, you don't need to be. Like that's not terrifying. As a matter of fact, it's encouraging because I'm not gonna be disappointed anymore. Things are gonna work out. I'm not gonna have a bunch of work to do. I'm gonna finally get caught up, right? <laughs> and so we can look forward to that and we go, man, this, this, that's good. That's the good news of the gospel. And so, but we should be afraid for other people. And that's the point of why the Lord is teaching us this. Is because the spiritual is preceding the physical of what will happen. All of this is playing out before our very spiritual eyes right now. And the more we walk by faith and not by sight, the more we will see it. And the more we walk by sight and not by faith, we'll be deceived and distracted. And that's what I'm trying to do is to lean in and like the message is for the world, man. And I know like the church has got to wake up. And I mean like the church worldwide, like they, we got to quit focusing on humanistic things and focus on the word of God to awaken the soul, to realize the urgency of humanity, that we're all headed toward this climactic event, and that people who don't know Jesus as personal Savior will not escape the wrath that is coming when things shift. 
And so spiritually, if we, if we, I'm not asking you to close your eyes, but metaphorically, if we close our eyes and we just begin to look with the eyes of faith, then everything about these four horsemen of the apocalypse is happening right now. It's happening right now, spiritually. It's going to play out physically. It's preceding what's going to happen physically right now. Here's, here's what I mean. People are swallowing the lie of false peace with God. That's takeaway number one. Like people, everybody thinks that they're at peace with God. Everybody thinks that they're right with God. When's the last time you saw anybody that when they die, they think they're not, they, they, like everybody that dies goes to heaven, right? Not according to the word. They don't. But everybody thinks they are. And you get engaged with the discussions with people and everybody thinks that it doesn't matter what you believe. It's like, oh, that's great that you're a Christian. I think that's good for you. I think that's right. But, but I don't believe exactly that and I think I'm good to go. They, they're believing and swallowing the lie of false peace with God. And so why, why do we focus on that? Why is that concerning to us? Because that's, that's what we're fighting against. Like spiritually, as we wage warfare, spiritual warfare that Paul talks about, the spiritual warfare is to realize that people, man, they think they're okay with God. Um, just people just, even people who don't believe in God think they're okay. They think, well, when you die, it's like you're going and it's just like, you know, and the lights are on and the lights go off. Do you really believe that? I don't know. You press them on it, right? They believe that lie. And so you have, you have family members. You have, we have uh, neighbors. We have with people we work with. And they are, they've swallowed a lie of false peace with God. And as citizens of the kingdom, our job is to help them know the way, the truth, and the life. And so we love people that are drinking the Kool-Aid of false peace with God. Here's the second. Maybe you, you may be here today, man, and like you may have, you may have swallowed that lie. And, and, and maybe the Lord just has you here today where you hear it, and you're like, what am I believing? Okay, here's, here's, here's why that is so dangerous. False peace equals conflict with God. Remember, there's a time of false peace. It goes to a time of war. People who are engaged in false peace ultimately end up in a war with God. People who don't know Jesus don't realize they are enemies of God. They think they're okay with Jesus. No, they're not. They're enemies, hostile, directly opposed. God doesn't look up on them with favor. He looks on them with disfavor. You say, why would God look on them with disfavor? Because they are covered and marred by their, spits, their sin. And that puts them at enmity with God. They have to be separate from God because God is holy. And if he lets them be in his presence when he is holy, he's not holy anymore. It's a problem. And so they, they don't realize, like, like, look at what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. Once, and he's referring to believers, us, once you were alienated from God and were enemies. You were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free, free from accusation. It's, it's so like, when we, that's why I'm saying you don't have to be worried if you know the Lord. 
You are free from blemish. You are free from accusation. You can't be accused because your sin has been covered, not because you say you're a Christian, not because you belong to a particular church, not because you listen to me preach or Pastor Shay preach or anybody else. There's only one way that you can get there, and that's reconciliation, and you got to reconcile your own heart with God. And when you do, man, the blood of Christ covers your sin, and now God can look at you, and there's a covering. Let me go back to my point earlier. In the Old Testament, it precedes what happens spiritually, or, or physically, yeah, spiritually. Yeah, remember, death ensued, the, the, the animal was slain to cover their shame. Jesus would come later and do it for us spiritually. And so that, that's so vitally important. What is happening spiritually during the throne of grace will happen physically during the throne of judgment. And this is why Paul says, right now we see dimly, but in the twinkling of an eye, you shall be changed and you'll see it all. And so we, we can understand it dimly. And, and what we've got to do is we've got to walk by sight. And then conflict with God always leads to spiritual famine, does it not? The more a person fights with God, the more spiritually starved they are. People are starving to death spiritually. That's why the world is so chaotic and broken is because they're grasping for different experiences to try to make sense of the brokenness that they, they find intolerable. Their homes are broken. They don't, many people don't know their fathers. They don't, they don't know their, you know, they, they come out of terrible situations. They've been abused and all of these different things. And so they're out there and they, they, they feel broken and then they're starving. And that's why the church needs to wake up and understand what is the, the most important thing for us is we got to realize, man, we're supposed to feed the sheep that are starving and feed the lost that don't even know they're hungry and get them to sample the truth of who Christ is ultimately. And I guess part of what I feel the Lord leaning in is we as believers gotta quit complaining about what the leaders are doing and start proclaiming what the king has done. Like, and we're afraid to. We're afraid that people won't like us. We're afraid, to, we're afraid to share the gospel with them because the deceiver has deceived us into thinking they don't want to hear it. And so we don't do it. And we get distracted by all the things going on around us. And the Lord says, man, look at what's coming. Church, look at what's coming. People are starving. They're in a spiritual famine, just like what will play out physically in the future to them. And then finally, death follows false peace, conflict, and famine. People are spiritually dead. I don't think people realize that. They don't realize when you're looking at a believer, you're looking at somebody who's alive in Christ. And somebody who doesn't know Jesus, they're dead in their sins. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins and which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So like we read this and man, I think it's designed, like the Lord knows, man, the Lord knows, the Lord knows our struggle. 
He knows, that, he knows our frame. He knows how we're made. He knows the weakness of the flesh. That's the beauty of the gospel is God took on flesh, and so he knows in all points as you are tempted, he's been tempted. In all points as I've been tempted, he's been tempted. He knows that I'm going to struggle with distraction. He knows I'm going to struggle um, by my mind not walking with eyes of faith. And so he's given me the truth of the word to shake me a little. I go, whoa. And when I read it, I get shaken. I get shaken and I go, man, what, what really matters that's going on around me? It shakes me out of my complacency. And that brings us to the big idea, how will we escape if we neglect salvation? Hebrews 2.3 says, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? We can't. But as we embrace the salvation and we look and we go, man, I'm, I'm lost, I'm a sinner. The Lord has told me I'm gonna die. And if I die in my sins, I'm going to be eternally separated from him and always be in a place of war with him and never be in a place of peace. And when he shifts and takes the deed, you'll no longer, see right now, even as an unbeliever, you can live under the throne of grace. But when Jesus takes the deed, no longer. And things start playing out physically in our lives. And so we have to realize that Jesus, as I've said, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no other escape. We don't escape through any other religion. We don't escape through any other method. It is not our good works. It is not our service in the kingdom. It's not the amount of money we give, the amount of poor people we help. It's none of that. It's Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb of God who was slain and takes away the sin of the world. And then I, I, when, when that hits me, it's not hard for it to hit me that I'm a sinner and offensive to God. I can, I, I can under, but when this hits me, and the good news of the gospel is I'm a citizen in the kingdom when I place my faith and my trust in Jesus. And when, I, when I'm hit with that and my shame is removed and I'm no longer carrying around the guilt, I'm no longer have, am believing a deceptive lie. I'm no longer at war with God. I'm no longer starving for truth. I'm no longer dead. Then I want to serve him. And so my works follow my obedience and my allegiance to who he is as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. My works does not make him like me. He loves me before I did anything. He loves me and he loves you. And so we gotta go, man, there are people that don't know that. There are people that don't know that. And if you like, that's, that is the gospel. And look at what the church, like the church worldwide is mixed up in right now, trying to sell it out whether this is okay or that is okay. What is okay is Jesus and putting our eyes on him, getting in the word that teaches us about Jesus and showing and bowing our knee in obedience to him and following hard after and, and sharing the gospel. We need to engage the battle. We need to declare war. 
We need to be urgent about discipleship. Why? Because the gospel moves best from person to person, not from pulpit to person. The gospel always moves better from person to person. And as citizens of the kingdom, the greatest thing we do is deliver the gospel. And when we get around people and we start doing life with them, we can start hearing how they think and they can, we can start correcting some of the famine they're experiencing and, and we can start pointing them to Jesus, man, and, and they can come alive in Christ and no longer be asleep in the kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Who is, who was, and is to come. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I thank you for your word, Lord. I'm challenged by it. Forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, for not walking when my eyes open even wider. Help me feast on truth, Lord. Help us as a body, Lord, to, to live this out for the sake of the people that we love and that you love that don't know you yet. Like I know that it is your desire that all men would come to you, Lord. But you have made a path, Lord, through belief in you, acceptance of you as the sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world. And you've chosen us. You've chosen us to share the good news. So, Lord, help us not to stray from the mission that you set the church on. Lord, bring, gather your sheep into this fold and use us to gather them, Lord. This week for all of us, like create opportunities for those of us who know you to, to share the good news. Like just to, just to share the good news of how good you are, Lord, and just develop relationships with people. Help us to look with spiritual eyes. And Lord, we plead with you for a revival and awakening across the land. <laughs> you, would, you would just let it just spill out, Lord. And Lord, may we, may we, may we be like right in the middle of it. <laughs> may we see people coming into the kingdom. I'm going to ask you guys to just remain in the spirit of prayer. If you're here and you don't know the Lord and you feel him inviting you in right now, you're like, man, I want to have that peace that Jimmy's talking about. I, I want to know the Lord like that. Man, all you have to do is say yes to Jesus. Die to yourself. Say yes to Jesus. It really is that simple. And then follow him as the lion of the tribe of Judah.
let him lead you on a journey for the rest of your life. So I would invite you, like, right now, I'm going to do this. I haven't done it in a while. Like, if you're here and you say, man, that's me. I don't know the Lord. You just raise your hand up right now. Anybody? I don't know the Lord. All right, for the rest of us, may we ask that the Lord help us bring somebody here next week that doesn't know him. And let's spend just a moment in prayer reflecting on that truth. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray these things in the wonderful, precious, holy name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.